0: Good morning, people of God. I want to first say this. If you follow along and you take notes by the outline, um, I learned a lesson this week. When you copy and paste something, check it. Uh, The uh, title isn't correct, and it renumbered everything. So you'll just have to follow along. I'll try to make a point of where we are in the outline. Uh, Following the service today, um, I'll share a few things as it relates to what we know with our churches in the Ukraine. Uh, We'll take a few minutes just to uh, let you know about that. Let us ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word today. O Lord, our God, we come into your presence, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, after your justice. O Lord, the heathen rage and take counsel together against you and they seek to destroy your kingdom and your saints. We come to you, O Lord, fervently, asking you to work in our time, in our midst, and through us to accomplish your purpose, to bring forth your justice, and to make known your great salvation. Bless us this day by your word and by your spirit, that day by day we may move in and to your purpose, to do your will. O Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, today we are taking a look at, uh, out of the lectionary, our Gospel reading, Luke chapter 4. And I wanted to just say a few things in preparation uh, for going into this. Today we are really going to see our need to know God's Word. We need to know the connections, the themes and the applications of God's Word. Now, I understand the challenges that we all have. Many of you have small children, and you think, man, I'm busy. And then your kids get a little older. They're teenagers. And then you say, you know, I thought I was busy, but now I'm busy. And then your children grow up. And you're going to say, man, I'm busy, and now I've got grandkids. It's this multiplication factor. At all times in our lives, We will be busy, but we need to take time to stop and study God's Word. That's partially what we do here. It's why we come to Sunday school. It's why we come to church, to learn God's Word. But each one of us should be reading it each day and be looking for resources to help us understand it better. So here today, as we get ready to talk about the temptation of Christ, Which, by the way, the actual sermon title was, The Temptation of Jesus, Spiritual Marxism. (laughs) And I say that because you're going to see when we get in the midst of this, that there is some truth there. But I want us to understand this, that this temptation for Jesus was real not some experience that Jesus would simply, in some sort of supernatural and spiritual way, not actually face. Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. This was a real issue for Jesus. Jesus had to face this temptation. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 tells us this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and becoming in the likeness of men. Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man, and he was tempted in all ways. This was real there's some very important things that we can learn here today and we are going to be scripture heavy so i'll speak quickly it says this beginning in luke chapter 4 with verse 1 then jesus being filled with the holy spirit returned from the jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil and in those days he ate nothing and afterward when they had ended he was hungry And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, All will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone.'" And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So here we have God's word in its fullness. And I imagine that probably almost everyone in this room has in fact heard this passage before. And when we read this, we hear these small quotes and we go, wow, Jesus just had the right things to say. But there is something deeper here. Yes, Jesus had the right things to say, but we need to look at all of God's word and and garner greater wisdom from it. To set this up for us, for us to understand where we are, remember that in Luke chapter 3, Jesus is baptized, okay? And then we get the genealogy of Christ. Now, it's important. We look at this after the baptism. We get this genealogy, and it ends, the genealogy ends in Luke chapter 3, verse 38. It says, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Luke wants us to see that Jesus is the new Son of God, the new Adam. That is the lens that we have to be looking at here. If we're going to properly understand what's happening, Jesus is baptized, there's this genealogy that comes through all the way from Jesus to Adam, and it says, okay, here is the new Adam. Where was Adam's failure? In the garden with the temptation from Satan. This is the lens with which we are to look at this. So in our first point is the wilderness in 40 days. It says this, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. So there's a couple of things that we need to recognize here right away, and that is that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, having returned from the Jordan that's reminding us that he went from his baptism that God the Father was there we saw the manifestation of the Spirit that is to say when you become a Christian the Spirit of God is with you he's filled with the Spirit and he's led into the wilderness Now, this is very interesting. Look at this in Exodus chapter 13, verse 18. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. We are seeing that there is something that happens. We're going to go through the the wilderness, but by passage of the Red Sea. Baptism and wilderness. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, we see this, or excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 7. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through the great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. Jesus went from baptism to the wilderness, knowing that he would lack nothing when he was in that time of testing. Our second point is bread and life. Again, going back to our passage in Luke, it says this, And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Now this is very important. Remember, the very first temptation to Adam, to Eve, was about food. God created Adam and Eve hungry. And he said, and how do we know that? Because what are the first instructions he gives? He's giving them the the dominion mandate, but he's telling them, you can eat of everything in here but one. They're already hungry. Jesus is facing this same temptation of hunger. Again, our passage in Luke, verse 3, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... That really should read, since you are the Son of God, Satan knew who he was. It wasn't like, if, like, okay, let's try to figure this out. No, this was, in fact, since you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now, we hear that, we read that, and we're like, man, Jesus just shot that out. He had that verse in his back pocket and he threw it out. But what we need to do is take a look at the passage in Deuteronomy 8 where this comes from. We need to reference the whole passage to understand what Jesus and how Jesus was responding. So if we look at this passage in Deuteronomy 8, beginning of verse 1, it says this. This is God speaking. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. You should know in your heart, that as man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Now, this is amazing. When you think about this, Jesus knows where he's at. He knows that he's in the wilderness. He knows there's he's been there 40 days. There's this connection to the 40 days or 40 years of wandering by the people of Israel, and he knows that they were tested. For what purpose? To be humble and to test to see what was in their heart whether they would keep the commandments or not and that God allowed them to hunger for what reason so that they would call upon God to be fed and how were they fed with the manna bread from heaven and why did he do this that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Remember, he talked about God promised this land to you. So if he's leading you there, he will, in fact, if you believe him and follow him, you will, in fact, know that your needs will be met, that he will feed you. He will care for you so much so that their shoes didn't wear out and that their feet did not swell. Now, those of you that work on your feet or have worked on your feet, that'd be a great thing, wouldn't it? But that's a reality. They marched around the desert for 40 years, and their shoes didn't wear out, and their feet didn't swell. They didn't even think about that. They didn't even notice that. Why? Because they were worried about their hunger, this thing right in front of them. And God even met that through miraculous means. And why does he do this? You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. God is not testing you like he is teasing you, but rather to grow you to maturity. Adam, when he faced this temptation, was full grown in his body. But he needed to mature and grow in the Lord. We do profit from our trials. James 2 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. This word trial here is of a man's fidelity, his integrity, virtue, consistency. It's an enticement of sin, temptation, whether arising from the desires or from the outward circumstance. This word trial, sometimes we look at it and it's like, Oh, God's putting a trial on me. Sometimes it's an enticement and a sin so that we may grow continuing on with James chapter 2 verse 3 knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect work if you were in Sunday school we talked about this word perfect and you'll hear me say this every time you see this word perfect you need to check it out because in most cases when God is talking about you being perfect he's talking about you being mature you growing in faithfulness to him It's not some sort of, I am now sinless. We all know that until we are at the resurrection and fully restored and made whole in God, we can't achieve that. And so sometimes we become overwhelmed we say, I can't do this at all. No, he is calling you to grow and mature in him and in his word. And why? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, just like the people of Israel lacked nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 8, so that was finishing up James. Coming back to Deuteronomy 8 has a warning in verse 6. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His way to fear Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into the good land. A land of brooks, of waters, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive oil and honey, a land which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you lack nothing. A land in whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, listen, people of God, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. You know, when things are going well, we're good at that. And I thank God he's blessing me. I thank God that everything's okay in my marriage. I thank God for this. I thank God for that. But look at verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes which I command you today, lest when you are, have eaten and are full. When God brings testing. You see, Jesus was not going to be able to just eat and be satisfied. First of all, you eat and then you get hungry again. That's how God made it but when we get full we think that it is we who did it because it says this and when you have eaten and are full and have beautiful houses and dwell in them and when you have herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied when your heart is lifted up you will forget the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt from the house of bondage who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and a thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you, that he might test you to do good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and my might of my hand gained me my wealth." There's all this packed in, but it's not done. Jesus, when he is responding to Satan, has all of this in mind, people of God. It says this, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore with your fathers, as it is this day. Then it shall be, if any... If you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you will surely perish as the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Now, this bread is more than food for the stomach. It is all that God provides. See, Satan wasn't just tempting him with an immediate, you got a little hunger in your tummy. He was tempting him with where does everything come from? Where does the breath of life come from that you have? Where does all the blessings that you have, your house, your belongings, your children, all the things that God multiplies, where does this come from? It comes from God. Do not forget when your stomach is full, but recognize that it, the, the blessing, your strength, everything you have comes from the word of God. Point number three, the equality of Satan. Now, this is where I think Marxist thinking comes into play. What does Marx want to do? He wants to make everybody equal. Everybody's equal. That is what Satan wanted to do. He wanted to be equal with God, right? We see that in the scriptures. And what does is, what is Satan offer Adam and Eve in the garden after he says, hath God really said? Oh, if you eat this, you too will have knowledge and understanding and be like God. Satan wants you to rationalize that you may worship him in your own easy way. Well, just a little bit less. You don't have to worry about that. You see, because Satan, as Luther would say, is more of a scoundrel than you think. Because he doesn't say, hey, come worship me, and then out and out let's sacrifice wild animals and spread blood everywhere. No, he's much more subtle. Satan wants to be recognized as equal with God he wants to pull down God he wants us to rationalize and find ways to worship God in our daily life in our Sunday worship in our families the way we want to do it not according to the word and take a look at this when we return back to Luke chapter 4 in verse 5 then the devil taking him up on a high mountain by the way I want to point out the devil's persistent he didn't just stop at the first thing the devil taking him that is Jesus up on a high mountain now you've heard me say over and over again this difficulty what were the high places in Israel these were places where they're supposed to go to the temple and worship God there and instead they do that but they also go to these high places where they're gonna worship God in their own way. And you see this back and forth. You can see it in 1 Kings with King Jeroboam in chapter 12. Now this thing became a sin for the people to worship before the one as far as Dan, that is the tribe of Dan. He that is King Jeroboam made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not the sons of Levi. Jeroboam didn't want to have to compete with Israel so he said with with Judah and so what he said is I'm going to create we're going to still serve Yahweh but you don't have to go to the temple we're going to worship at these high places and we're going to do it in our own way and we're not going to follow the way God lays it out Now remember, coming back to the devil and Jesus. The devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him and said, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him Shall you serve? Again, what is this passage passage that Jesus is quoting? Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse one, says this, "Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgment which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God and keep His statutes and His commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength." And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him and take oaths in His name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you in the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted Him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, His testimonies, His statutes, which He has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and do what is good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all of your enemies before you as the Lord has spoken. Now this is interesting. We've, co- we've covered a lot of grounds here but there is something bigger going on. When Jesus is responding to Satan, he is responding with these verses, but it's packed with, here's the whole story. There's more going on here. There's more we need to know and to think about. And at the end of this passage, it says, man, he's gone on and read a long way. But verse 20 tells us this, When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of these testimonies and statutes and judgment which the Lord, our God, has commanded you? You see, part of this is, people of God, we are to be living and obeying God's word in such a fullness that our children see. And they're going to ask. And so we need to be ready. Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed us signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh and his household. Then he brought us up out from there, that he might bring us in and give us land that he swore our fathers. Now I want to say this. What is it that, Satan, what is it that Christ's work has delivered you from? What slavery has the Lord saved you from? We need to talk to our kids. Parents, don't wait. Don't say, oh, I'm going to talk to my kids about all these things later. Speak into their lives. Speak about what the Lord has delivered you from. You don't have to get into every little detail. But I do want to say this. If you do this, you're going to have to be transparent. If you want them to listen, human life says you're going to sin against them. You're going to lose your temper. You're going to be angry when they don't do what you're asking them to do. When you sin against them, repent, ask for forgiveness, teach them the way of the Lord. These things will take root in that way. After he says all these things, he says when we desire, we need to think about this, when we desire to worship God with anything less than what he says in verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. About repentance to your children, to your wife, to your husband, to those in your life. If you know that God has called you to do something, that's clear in his word, and you're not doing it, don't try to go to a high place and say, no, I'm going to worship God this way. Repent. And if that repentance includes sin that you've brought your family into, repent of it with them. Start with yourself, but confess it to them. Lead them in that. But we need to repent if we're trying to live our lives in any area that is not according to God's word. If God directs us, we need to do it. And when we don't do it, we need to repent. Change our mind, change our life, change our lifestyle. Point number four. Satan wants this. He wants God to prove himself. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from there. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, of course, Satan knows scripture, but Satan is just like a great deal of the world. Actually, the world has learned it from Satan. Let's quote something out of context. When I say context, why do we go and read those long passages in Deuteronomy? Because we need to know the context. We need to actually understand what is being said here. Not just a quick phrase, but what does all of it have to say? Now this is really important because Satan does know the scripture and he's going to use it. If he can't shake you any other way, he's going to come at you and say, Hath God really said? By saying, look, he says it here. I don't know if you recognize this, but our call to worship today was from Psalm 91, this very passage. Verse 14 of Psalm 91 says this, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Satan wants Jesus to compromise himself by rationalizing you are the son of God. You can get God to prove himself. And therefore prove you. We like Israel want God to prove himself and then we will believe. If he is God, he will do this thing for me first and then I will obey him. And what was his response? You shall not tempt the Lord your God. What is this? Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us about this and tells us don't tempt him as you tempted him at Massa. He says this in Leviticus 17. I'm just going to highlight this. The people of God were thirsty. The people of God needed their needs met, but they grumbled and complained. They didn't say, wait, look at all that God has done. No, they went and complained. And it was driving Moses crazy. And Moses said, what am I going to do with these people, Lord? And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take some of the elders of Israel, and also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there at the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink, that the people may drink." Now this is very interesting because we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul tells us, gives us more understanding here. That rock, that was Jesus. That staff striking Jesus, God was saying, I'm going to give you waters to drink. By striking the rock, my son, which by the way, his spirit stood, because it says, I will stand before you. So Moses is standing here. Here's the rock. Here's the spirit of God in the cloud. Here are the people. It was always God's plan to strike and bring suffering to Christ, to bring life to the people of God. And the water flowed. And the people lived. It is really important for us to understand that Jesus was struck for us at the cross that we may live. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 tells us this. Now the serpent was more cunning, that is, subtle and shrewd, crafty, sly, Sensible, rational, than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said? And the serpent said to the women, You shall surely not die. Now listen, people of God, Satan was used in Scripture. Jesus used Scripture to defeat Satan. We need to know God's word. We need to recognize that the same things that Satan was doing in the garden, he did to Jesus. Jesus didn't falter because he knew God's word and he believed it. He stood firmly on it. Not like Adam and Eve when they believed you will not surely die. 2 Timothy chapter 3 Verse 16 tells us all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. People of God, we must believe God's word, we must live it. And any time the sensible thing and the rational thing that Satan brings along through whatever means, the ease of you, you're okay, you're filled, you're, you're successful. Or this is the way to success is through these means. Don't believe it. Stand on God's word. Know God's word. It's for doctrine. That is a place to stand. What is doctrine about? It is the principles of God's word that we can stand firmly on and not retreat. But it's also for reproof and correction. Reproof and correction for ourselves, for our families, for this church, and for our greater community to the very ends of the earth. If you're not convinced, take this week and read Psalm 119. And then read Ephesians chapter 6. And read it again, and read it again. Ephesians 6 tells us that it is the Word of God, which is our sword. Finally, what does this all mean? Simply this. We need to know and obey God's Word regardless of our circumstances. Second, there is a necessity for worship. No area of your life should be outside of God and His Word. Remember what the prophets said all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And don't forget this. Thirdly, Satan is a liar. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, it tells us that God cannot lie. He loves us. Life and blessing with joy and gladness is found in obedience to the Scriptures. And after all of this, we see that Jesus sends Satan away. Satan is defeated. Jesus didn't falter. But it's so interesting. If you stop right there and you just walk away from it, you don't read that last verse, you miss something. Very, very important. Was Jesus going to be tempted again? We all go, oh, yeah, yeah, at the end of his life. He was tempted in the garden of Gethsemane, right? We Think about that. No, it was much sooner than that. The last verse is verse 13. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Sometimes we say, okay, God, I recognize I've been doing things wrong. I've sinned. I repent. I want to do the right thing. And then all of a sudden, temptation is right there in front of us again, right then and there. You're going to leave out of here today and be tempted in some way this afternoon, tomorrow, next Saturday night, to stay up too late and struggle to stay awake in church on Sunday? Had to throw that in there. But here's the thing. You know when the opportune time was for Jesus? He comes down from there and he starts preaching and the first place that gets named where he goes is nazareth he goes right in there and they are all about trying to make him their king their way not god's way and when he rejects that they rush him up on a mountaintop, a hillside rather a cliff and they're going to throw him off But he is going to walk in obedience to Christ. And he stops and puts his feet down and turns around and walks directly through that crowd, it says. Temptation, when you repent of your sins, temptation is going to come upon you so that the Lord may build you up into maturity. Trust that. The opportune time is coming upon you. But thanks be to God. He's merciful. If we repent of our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We thank you that you sent your Son who was able to not falter in temptation. Lord, I pray that we would, in turn, follow your Son's life, Embrace the word, believe your word, live your word. And we thank you that through his faithfulness to you and your word and your promises that our sins are forgiven and that we may come in peace to you. In Jesus' name, amen.